Welcome to Making It Make Sense, the podcast from Real Fear Records. This week we're joined by Galway-based band Turnstiles, consisting of Colm Sweeney, Killian Ryan, Luke Mullins and Jake Tiernan. Turnstiles are a band who draw their musical influences from Axis Diverse as Bob Dylan, Pixies, Stone Roses and Girl Bands. They're a band who've been getting a lot of attention domestically and internationally with their first single, Wasting Away, having close to 75,000 streams on Spotify. I sat down with Jake and Killian and we discussed writing, touring and their plans for after COVID. We started by talking about their last EP. Well, so long ago now, it's funny talking about it because, I mean, it was almost a year ago that we started writing it. Mm. And so it was last summer and we'd been in lockdown for a while, obviously. And uh, everyone was just kind of working on their own stuff at home, musically. And um, then once things were opened up again in May, we kind of said, okay, you know, we need to get like back in the swing of things. So we went out to Killian's shed uh and that's where we, we just spent about a week kind of putting together all the ideas that we had had um, over the summer. And that became the EP. And then I think it was October that we recorded it. Um, and then we were booked into the studio for like first week of November. Studios shut down. So then we ended up mixing it remotely uh, on about, I think on December 16th with Daniel Fox from Girlband. And okay, so he yeah. was in the studio up in Dublin and we were in my flat in Galway and had two speakers set up and a Skype call. And that was how he did it. So it was a very disjointed process. It was like once every couple of months we would do something. Mm. Um, so at this stage now, like, you know, it's almost a year old, the songs to us anyway. Mm. And did you feel like that affected the how they came out? The fact that you had to do the mixing over Zoom and everything? Um, I suppose it's a, it's a difficult one because we'll never know, obviously, doing it the other way. But mm-hmm. um, for me personally, anyway, like I like in terms of recording the songs, like we, we recorded with them with Mike O'Dowd at Lakeland Studios. Shout out, Mike. Um, he was, and we recorded it in that. We were able to go to his studio and record them and all that. The only thing that was like explicitly... COVID related was the mixing process but mm. I suppose it would have been nice but in fairness like in fairness to Daniel he was really thorough like and he kind of he, he put in a lot of long hours like he was really willing to wait on long and, you know we did in the evening time so we waited on and like 
Well, it was very relaxed. Like there was no kind of urgency in the whole process. Like so, mm. I don't feel like it affected the way it came out. I suppose more so. I suppose it, it, when we, when we rehearsed them or played them live, there was this kind of disconnect because I suppose in the normal run of things, you'd record music and you'd try and play it live as much as you can. So yeah. in that sense, there's a weird kind of disconnect between uh, having something released and then having that long wait between li- performing it live is kind of a strange one. Mm. In terms of how they came out, I, I, you know, I think they came out grand, like, so I don't know. Yeah, well, no, I, I'm <laughs> not suggesting they didn't. They certainly came out oh, geez, pretty, yeah. pretty <laughs> class-like, as far as I'm concerned. But I think there's a thing, though, like you said, that um, maybe you guys do it as well. I think most bands do it, that when they're going to release some music, they'll test it out. They'll kind of workshop it at gigs. Like they'll work mm. it into the set and they'll do the kind of songs that they're not totally sure about and they'll perfect them in the live, um, in the live set before they go in to record them. Did you have that opportunity to do that with these songs before you went to record them? So we had one song, which is the, I think it's the opening track, so, Something to Die For, I think that's first. Um, that was written the previous November, so 2019. Um, so that had been in our set from November 2019 to the start of lockdown, early 2020. Um, so that was the only one we had ever got to try out live, really. Um, and it was it was kind of like a bit of a departure from the stuff we had been uh, been writing before that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were before it was very much the like classic punk sound, four chords. Um, and this was the first, I mean, you wouldn't go as far to call it experimental, but, you know, Cullen, uh, who's the other guitar player, uh, does this kind of like scratch on it. It started as a jam, I think, and Killian and Cal, our uh, singer, went out for a smoke. So there's three of us left and we just were doing this, you know, it's like the drum beat that it opens up with. Um, and Cullen was doing this like scratch down his guitar and it sounded really cool and kind of chaotic. So then we finished that in probably a day or two. And that was, the, so that was the last song we wrote before lockdown. Mm-hmm. So then all over lockdown, it was kind of weird because in our head, we had just started down this other like avenue of music, mm-hmm. but we hadn't got to explore it together. So then like kind of all summer we were, when we were sitting, you know, by ourselves, we were all kind of thinking, okay, this is the direction we're going. When we get back together, we're going to follow this thread a bit more and see where it goes. Um, so we knew from playing that song live that it would go down well and that that vibe would go down well. But the rest of the songs were all written uh, in isolation. Uh, it was only us that heard it. Yeah, it's it's funny that I didn't realize that it was the guy from Girl Bands who mixed it. I sort of got that impression or that influence from the the last instrumental section of the song and from the riff at the start, the, the scratchy sort of noise as well. I kind of <laughs> reminded me of something that they might do or that kind of more experimental kind of rock, you know. Did, did, yeah. you, ha- did you have a similar experience, Killian, recording it? How did you find the recording process? Um, the recording process, um, I think we did two days, Jack, didn't we? Did we split it? We, yeah, I, I think yeah. we were booked in for four. And then on the second day, it was like, oh, we're finished already. We're so, yeah. Truth. Yeah. yeah, I remember... I remember actually the most difficult thing about it for me was logistically getting there because I was uh, 
I was out I was out camping and then I woke up and I was a bit late, so I had to meet the lads there in Athlone. So that was my overall memory was trying to get, get from Roma to Athlone uh, and trying to catch up and make sure that the lads weren't there waiting. But um like the, the recording process itself was like to be honest, like from my point of view, man, like there's you know, in, in terms of what I play is like it's very kind of uh, complimentary to, to call him you know, as a league guitarist like so for me it's fairly straightforward um, for Luke Luke and Jake they kind of laid the foundations of it mm-hmm. that's the bass and the drummer right. bass, Luke is a drummer yeah and Jake is obviously playing bass and from that point of view like you know it's it's cool we all record the things uh, individually so it's cool to even just from my point of view to see my bandmates playing their thing and getting to see them doing their thing and individually focusing on it. That's what I take from it anyway, in terms of positives, that it's really, mm. it gives you that chance to kind of observe what the lads are doing and kind of take note and try and, try and figure out what can I do to complement that? Because obviously when you're jamming or rehearsing live, like for me anyway, I'm concentrating, I'm just playing the song correctly, like, you know. Mm. Mm. Well, there's something from playing live as well that you, it just, um, you interact with each other a lot quicker and the song can develop a lot quicker and a lot more naturally than is if you're by yourself, I suppose, and you're just trying to think about yeah, what... Definitely it can be, it's more fluid. Yeah. It's definitely more fluid. You bounce off each other a lot more when... Mm. Like, that was the thing with the, when... Where we would, we did kind of five days where the lads came out and we're just in the shed and we just kind of did it, you know, like, I don't know, maybe 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. And... Yeah, like it, it definitely the speed of progress and everything, just being around each other was very quick and bouncing off each other. Mm. So yeah, that was that, that was difficult to kind of to um, to try and stay in tune with each other. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Throughout the lockdown, um, but it's rare yeah, when luckily enough it came through. You know, it's rare when a band goes into a studio and they use less time than is necessary. <laughs> I think that's the first time I've heard that. That's yeah, something. Very <laughs> yeah. That, that Mike, who we always record with in Athlone, um, he's always said that from the first time we went to him. And we write very quickly and we record very quickly. Um, mm. And that's not because we're unbelievable musicians or anything. I, like, I don't know, the songs are usually quite simple. Um, but I, I think writing, sometimes we get this thing in our heads of, trying to finish a song as quickly as possible because we'd have a gig coming up on the Friday. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's kind of this pace to it when we're writing. Like, how can we get this ready to be played at, at the gig? Um, and then recording, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think simplicity is probably one thing. Like, even though there's a lot of interesting sounds going on on the EP, mm. when you strip everything back, it, it's very simple instrumentally, like, uh, just bleed is one of my is probably my favorite song on it and it's kind of this crazy soundscape but mm. it's just two notes and they're the two notes that are right beside each other it's a, it's a e and an e sharp that's it that's the whole song so like when you strip it all away we're not doing the most complicated stuff but i think sonically then is where you can get a bit more experimental because mm. we're not going to go math rock you know, virtuosic guitar playing. Mm. Hard it's, to, to do a, an acoustic cover of a song like that. Yeah, we've actually been asked before, oh, yeah. like <laughs> acoustic streams, and it's like, 
What, yeah, what would that sound like? I don't know what we do. What are you supposed to do with those situations? I suppose just get like a, like a, like a violin bow or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, do the scratch on the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so, am I right to say then that the, the, so the first song was written before lockdown, and the other three were written during? Is that right? Yeah. So, I, do you think that the the lyrics? I mean. From listening to your music uh, extensively today, I certainly get the impression there's a lot of, of, of intense anger in, in the lyrics. There's, um, and especially in, the, in, in, the, in the, the last EP. Do you think that that was specifically because of Corona? Do you think Corona affected the lyric writing? Um, I'm trying to think now, like, it's interesting lyrically because so I, I would usually write the lyrics uh, except Callum wrote Wasting Away which is our first single mm. and Callum wrote the last song on the EP uh, Omniscient Delusion mm. um, but political lyrics and stuff was never something I had really uh, I hadn't really tried it out before the band started Mm-hmm. And then we started playing. I was this kind of, you know, did angry, punky music. And I was like, okay, well, the obvious thing to do here is to go with the same style lyrically. Um, but I don't think any of the lyrics were kind of directly inspired by by COVID. The way, the way that we write as well is, so I'll write lyrics with no song in mind. And then we'll jam an instrumental and at practice then we'd kind of, I'd have, you know, notes on my phone and we'd just go through them and myself and Callum and we'd say, okay, maybe this will work here. And like, we'll try out a few things. So sometimes we'd have an instrumental song where we'd try out two or three different sets of lyrics over it. Um, so because of that, it means that like I can pull something up that's two years old in the session mm-hmm. and it can get you. So like, um yeah on the ep something to die for and just bleed i don't even think that those lyrics were necessarily written during lockdown even though the instrumentals were yeah 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 um yeah that's interesting as you collaborate a lot then it's it's sorts of um say fairly uncommon for lyrics to come from so many different sources within a band do you do that often um it's kind of just a personal thing it's just you know, we'll be playing a song and someone, like, for the most part, it would be me. But I think now, especially with the EP, I hope that we've opened it up to everyone, having Cullum's song on there. Mm. And Cal has shown before as well that, you know, he can write great lyrics. So I think having that multiple voices in the band is is a good thing because, you know, there are multiple people in the band. So you, one person can't speak for everybody. Yeah. Um so I think in the future, we'll probably do that a bit more. Yeah, we'll have different voices and we can all try out our own stuff over different tracks. Yeah. Do you think there's something inherently political about music that, that's, that, that is that loud and that scratchy and that angry in terms of it's just um, musicality? Yeah, I think, I don't know, obviously Jason speak for, to the lyrics, um, but I remember like in terms of hearing... Um, like my like Colin wrote the, the final track of it, I'll miss you delusion. And I could I can mm-hmm. kind of relate that there was kind of 
there's an anger and there's a bite there. And I don't know, maybe there's me just theorizing and obviously and kind of speaking on behalf of Colin, maybe this wouldn't be completely accurate, but in terms of the anger you were saying before, there's there's kind of an energy and a, a kind of urgency to the music, I think, mm-hmm. maybe. But um, it kind of, that's what I got from it. I got a massive kind of kick off it, that kind of sense of urgency, because it came out in January. Was it January 2021, Jake? Yeah. yeah. What year are we yeah. now? <laughs> it was January this year. And I remember it was just like, it kind of, for me, anyway, listening to it, it kind of felt like there was a sense of urgency to it. And that kind of, I kind of had that sense of urgency in terms of, I was kind of sick of things at that point and I wanted things to kind of get on again. Like, you know, probably talk us off topic there, but sure, look, that's bring us back again, Robert. <laughs> Please go off topic as much as, as you want. Like I said, I'll just... Good, like the master tangent story <laughs> for the day. Like. Um, and did you find, I mean, I think there is, there's been a sort of a, a, a theme throughout this series of podcasts. And like I was saying before you came on, this is about the eighth or ninth one I've done now. And it's constantly been a case where people have been trying to write during lockdown and they simply can't because they have fuck all to write about. Did you guys That's find that? Like you were saying that you didn't get to practice that much for the first couple of months of, of lockdown. Was it the same for writing? Yeah, like in terms of writing, it was... It was it was kind of disjointed in that sense in terms of just not being around each other and just not kind of sharing our experiences and stuff like that. Um, I, funny enough, like I just checked out the the love buzz, like the first ten or fifteen minutes of it, of this of what you did, the episode you did with them, mm. and like I only managed to catch a few minutes of it. But from what I remember, anyway, it was um, I don't know, was it Aiden or Kieran or someone? But they were saying that they're all living together for a while and they're all microdosing. Yeah, and like. You know, they seem to have a real structure in terms of they were writing and they were they were in and around each other, and that probably just gave them that that emphasis to do something. Do you know what I mean? But for me personally, in my like I, I've been trying to write lyrics on my phone and that, and you know, it's 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 hard because even on a micro level, you, you might ask people who are around like, oh, any crack, and like you kind of. You try and put up a good front and be like, "Oh yeah, I did this and did that." Like, but there's like, fuck all going on. Like, you know what I mean? And like, Literally. yeah, you know, there's fuck all. Like, like, is any crack is like, yeah, it's crack now because I have no actual crack. But like, once upon a time, if like, oh, I went for a run, like that wouldn't have been fucking news. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not really good, um, Fazer, for writing alt rock songs. Just like fucking baking and going for runs and things you know yeah <laughs> yeah it's just fucking like oh yeah just been very mindful and just going for walks <laughs> you know in nature and stuff and like watching a lot of to kind of join the two like watching a lot of videos on philosophy you know just fucking <laughs> great time um yeah that was an interesting podcast and the the, the way that they um it's it's a pretty common thing i think for a band when they're trying to do an album together they'll they'll live together for a little bit of time and it really puts the pressure on, you know. Is that something you guys ever thought about trying to do or just maybe taking like a, a weekend or something and just really hunkering down to focus on writing? Uh, living together. Yeah, or well, yeah, for like mm-hmm. a, a short period of time to work on songs. Yeah, like I think it's something that's definitely crossed my mind in terms of, um, you know, possibly like getting an airbnb out somewhere somewhere remote and just bringing all the gear with us 
and just you know going at it for a week like you know that that would be it's a, I can definitely see the appeal of it because from just watching documentaries of other bands it seems like even even like uh, Noah Gallagher talks about when he wrote Supersonic it was because they were having a problem in the studio mm. and it was kind of circumstantial that he went off and he wrote this song because they needed to come out with something and like I kind of have that approach that it's very hard to kind of pencil in time and say right we're going to be creative between the hours of six to eight on a Tuesday do you know that kind of way so like it's definitely yeah. something that would have I think I think Luke I think we had a chat with Luke about it before and like it's something that's definitely it'd be definitely interesting anyway at the very least we like you'd have to come out with something like you look like an awful twerp altogether if you'd be like oh we went away to write some songs and we just like just played the same riff over and over for a week like you know yeah like um you know when the Happy Mondays got all that money to to do that album, and they went over to Ibiza, and then they just spent all the money, and they came back and they had no album, so they had to do the album there <laughs> in like a weekend. <laughs> but um, yeah, it sounds it sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's I don't know if it's it's specifically helpful because it's it can be kind of hit or miss. It, it puts a lot of pressure on yourselves when you do put yourself in that kind of a situation where you're like, now I have to write something. Do you think that you can just force stuff out like that? Like, say, the Beatles did when they just sat down and they were like, from nine to five, we write songs and then we, we go do whatever afterwards. Do you think that you guys could do something like that or is it more spontaneous? To, to be honest, yeah, we kind of... I mean, it does sound like a dangerous idea to commit to we're going to write between, you know, in this block of time and you could come out with nothing, but... In fairness to us, we like we don't we're not a band that uh, practices and writes all the time, but we we always kind of do come up with something, and maybe that's again that kind of pace that we write at of just we'll get in you know to wherever we were like when when we're in the shed, and just we have one riff and, and it's like okay that's what we're doing today, and let's just let's just get this done by the end of the day and. Most of the time we do, and I think like we did try and kind of create that atmosphere with the sessions last summer of writing the EP where because we were going out to Killian's, we get there, we'd have, you know, tea and figaro's together. We'd write, we'd go down, we'd get food at the deli or food in Killian's and we'd have lunch together and we'd come back and we'd write and like, we weren't living together. We were going home in the evenings, but apart from that, we were with each other for pretty much the whole week. We were kind of playing basketball in between hmm. uh, whenever we got a bit of writer's block or whatever. And it was lovely weather as well uh, during that week. So we did kind of like foster that atmosphere of productivity and it felt good because previously we had always kind of practiced like after work or college kind of, we do like seven o'clock to nine o'clock. Hmm. Um, but this was the first time we were like getting up early, getting a cup of coffee in the garage and going. And it like, it feels like a job almost. And it felt like we we're in a really good productive headspace for it. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to, I find anyway, to, it's very easy for me from my point of view to kind of, I find it hard to kind of just designate time to it and say, right, this is what I do this is what I want to do. And I'm going to allow myself that time to actually relax into it and actually make something and create something. You know what I mean? So like, 
it's a it it is a great thing like if you have that opportunity to or if you have the space as well this is the thing like just having the space and you're not under pressure of getting in and get out and that you know it's uh, definitely you can see the benefit of it but at the the flip side of that as well is like when we first started it was like I think I think from another point of view the fact that we're all like kind of doing it after college or work or late evenings and you know like you know maybe maybe getting out of there at half ten and you know like you know, it was late evenings. I think that that was kind of beneficial from like a commitment point of view. We're all kind of yeah. like, right, we're committed to it. Because as Colin has said before in, in different interviews, like it wasn't like we were all just knocking around and we had no time or we had a lot of spare time and we said, oh, here we would be in a band. It was kind of a very conscious thing, kind of genesis of it all. It was, I think, Jake went to Jake approached Callum, Callum approached me, and it was all very much we're doing this to make a project like so. Mm-hmm. Um, there's pros and cons to it, like you know what I mean. I suppose one of them things as well is the fact that I I live a little bit outside Galway City, so there's that little bit of kind of inconvenience in terms of uh, just kind of knocking into each other naturally that way as well. But um, yeah, it's it's like I remember I was chatting to a guy from Sons of Southern Ulster, and he reckoned that like it's kind of it's a good sign as well that you know you five lads willing to kind of do the bit of graft with it as well and do the kind of you know. Make it like like the same way you might approach approach sports. You know, you say we've trained and saying like, oh, we've rehearsals and that like so. Yeah, yeah. We definitely served our time with those kind of like uh, those kind of commitments or whatnot. But my point of view, anyway, I'd be very much looking forward to to having that bit of time again when things are a bit more relaxed and everyone's kind of finished their commitments and that to go back into it and just kind of you start fresh now after the EP because as Jake said, like it's been, it's been quite a few months. Like so, I think. We've definitely a lot of material in us now, and we got to get back together. Mm-hmm. Give it a good cut again and see what happens. Like. So, um, so that's what you guys have been doing for the last couple of months. I see that you're doing a tour in. Uh, towards the end of the summer, or is it the mid-summer? October. Uh, oh, October, right, right, right. Yeah. So how did that come together? How did the plan for that come together? And, um, like, um, how do you foresee it going? Is this your first time touring in England? Yeah, this is our first time touring at all. Okay. Um, yeah, we had basically... I think what kind of... I sometimes forget is that like we were we had been a band for such a short amount of time um like we've been a band in lockdown now for much longer than we were ever a band before Mm -hmm. so we were playing together and uh gigging for seven eight months and now we've been in lockdown for a year so we were kind of still very early early days like um we obviously had played a lot in Galway, but we had played then maybe three or four Dublin shows and we went to Limerick once. And besides that, like that was all we had done gig wise. Um, mm-hmm. So, but then, you know, things started picking up a bit. Um, it was annoying because we really felt like we were kind of getting some momentum right before lockdown. We had loads of gigs booked all summer and we were thinking uh, an Irish tour was going to be, you know, one of the things that we would do. Um, so obviously that didn't work out and then uh, we were very 
reluctant to make plans during lockdown because you, you just saw so many bands like, oh, we're playing this gig in January, February, March, uh, 2022, uh, 2023. And it's like, we didn't want to be doing that, like announcing mm-hmm. things and then having to cancel. And, um, but I guess now with the vaccines, it's the first time you can kind of like with some actual evidence behind it, say things will be close to normal in October um, in the UK at least. Uh, so yeah, then Richard, our manager who's from Leeds. Um, End of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So him and then obviously Callum is from London. Mm-hmm. So we do have kind of connections over there. Um, so we just thought, you know, at, at this time as well, like things weren't looking as good in Ireland. So it's okay. If we want to play, it's, it's going to have to be in England. Um, so then Richard just kind of went off himself and booked it all. We're very lucky to have him as a manager. We like we're not the best with the um, admin side of things. Mm-hmm. So we just said Northern England would be good. And like two weeks later, he was like, "Yeah, here's a full tour." So yeah, no, I, I had a, a conversation with him last week for the podcast, and he certainly gave me the impression that he would the kind of guy that would just sort things out inexplicably. You know, <laughs> like you just go away and just sort things, and you're like. You know, a guy to get things actually done. But yeah, we were, talk, we were talking a lot about um, about the venues up there and and the history of 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 the north of England. And it's it's a very, I suppose, culturally rich place for the kind of music that you guys do. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, you know. But um, so you haven't you haven't really done that many gigs before COVID. Are you going to? Um, have you been practicing recently? Have you gotten back into the swing of of rehearsals and all of that? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, nice. no, not at all. Um, currently, I'm I'm struggling to finish finish some education. Uh, Colum's moseying through his end of his degree, uh, same with Um So we're at the moment we're not doing anything. We're just kind of waiting to get kind of all you know. Colum's very busy at the moment. Myself, I should be busy, but I'm in theory I'm very busy anyway. But procrastination is very heavy. But um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like we're not doing a whole pile at the moment. I suppose the most exciting thing we were trying to work out logistics for England. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's interesting because like even the idea of going to England and having seen videos of it and like the fact that everything's kind of up and running over there, that's really exciting, man. Um, I'm just excited to see somewhere different, man. Like, you know, like we're going to we're going to Leeds, Manchester, or Todd Morton, town outside Manchester. I'd never heard of Liverpool. I'd never been. Like, you know what I mean? Newcastle. So I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, just to see different venues at different places. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. And also, like the from from just knocking around people from the north of England, they have a very kind of good sense of humour, and I, I'd say it'd be a good place for us to cut our teeth. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I always felt like. If a if a if a proper proper music head from we'll say Liverpool Manchester or whatever if they if they rate you in this kind of ballpark it's kind of a good sign you know what I mean mm-hmm. because that you know punk music and, and alternative guitar music is is it's a massive part of the culture up there like mm-hmm. I certainly had the impression that a lot of people in the north of England do have quite a similar sensibility to Irish people perhaps because they are themselves um, the descendants of Irish people. You know, and there's a similar music culture there in terms of the soundscapes that you get in, in places like Galway and Cork. And that, and by that, I mean, there's a lot of post-punk and a lot of like alt-rock 
and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, di- I didn't have a question. That was more of a statement. No, That's like there. 100%. Like even something like, uh, like uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen like This Is England with Shane Meadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Series and film and like even just looking at ska culture and punk and, you know, like reggae and all these influ- influential kind of subcultures in England. They, like generally speaking, it was it was immigrants who brought them and it was that fusion of culture, you know, mm-hmm. and like... There was um, even like, you know, one of the bands that kind of got me was a massive gateway band for me. It was Oasis, like, and I haven't looked into it that even, even their, their kind of, their attitude came almost from a rebellion against their own kind of being pigeonholed within Irish, second generation Irish culture. Like, so mm-hmm. there's kind of, you know, there's, there's always that kind of attitude associated with the North of England, you know, that I was kind of, they have that, you know, that that kind of uh, underdog mentality that I think Irish people kind of share that a lot. Do you know what I mean? So it makes for it makes for really, really exciting just to to be able to bring that music over there, like you know, and um, you know, like I, for me personally, like I, I, I like I love the, the the culture in the northwest, like you know, I suppose, like me and Jack are both you know soccer fans as well, like and. Mm. You know, I follow United Jack, be a Liverpool fan and stuff like that. And even the way music and, and football and sport and culture all intersects in the North is really, really interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It's um yeah, it's a part of the world that I've never I've never gone up to before. I think bef- one time when I was I was very young, but I, I need to this summer is going to be the summer of going to things and seeing things, if 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 at all possible. But um what do you think about the gig scene in, in Galway before the, the lockdown? Obviously, you guys were, were playing a good bit um, at the venues there. you think it's going to sort of bounce back to the level that it was beforehand or is it going to be better or what do you think? I, I think it's going to be much better, to be honest. I think there's been, it's really been given a kind of, or was in the process of being given a bit of a jump start before lockdown. And I think it should with all this pent up energy, if anything, there should be even like the desire to go to live music should be increased everywhere probably. But things were looking really healthy in Galway. Um, I think when we started the band, it was the scene. I'm not trying to give us, you know, like credit for anything huge. So you started the bands and then the scene got good is what you're saying Basically, yeah, yeah. we are the scene Robert and everyone else says otherwise we go fuck them to no I won't even <laughs> but there was definitely to me anyway it felt like at the time there was kind of a scene in Galway but it was mm-hmm. very much all the different bands in it would be the people going to see each other and it was like a very close knit community yeah and I think that's called a pyramid scheme it it was definitely like a a tightly knit group um but then like we kind of started out and there was also a new dad and uh, like sly rides and so without any of us really interacting with each other too much we'd be good friends with, with new dad but it's like it's like that thing of oh language and art developed in all these different civilizations across the world when they had no contact with each other, right? And it was like all these different post-punk bands started up in Galway 
and none of them knew about each other. And then we all came out around the same time. We're like, oh yeah, we've all been thinking the same thing. We've all been trying to make similar kind of music. Um, Do you think that's because the, the weather is so shit? I was yes, going to say that. It's 100%. <laughs> That is is the reason, right? I mean, that's why there's so many metal bands in Finland. Like, sure. (laughs) It's just freaking battered by the fucking Atlantic every day of the week. Yeah. Ah, jeez. The seagulls as well, like, fuck. They're they're vicious, man. I swear to God, they're getting organized now. Like, (laughs) you you get a chicken roll down down there by the the, the seafront and you'd be taken out of your fucking hands. Take your eyes out of you, like, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of like from my point of view in terms of the scene of God, like I'm from I'm from Dubai and just outside of Shum so like from my perspective I kind of I've never really experienced like uh, the scene in Dublin as such you know you go to specific gigs and that like but I remember I remember a few years ago I'd, you know you would have bands like Old Ball and Field Trip mm-hmm. um, they were they were doing their own thing within the Russian and stuff like that but I think in terms of trying to assess the health of it or anything like that, I, I wouldn't really have any relative or any reference point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I think I think though, massive though is like having having like the students and people who are going to college engaging with it and stuff. Yeah, and like you know, I think that's, that's the when I was when I first left, I I just went exclusively like electronic nightclubs, just electronic music, like not exclusively, but like you kind of follow the crowd like that, whereas. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like I'm 23 now. I imagine like I was looking at you know people who are kind of just are not going to college now. Maybe there's kind of more of a kind of people of that age have more kind of confidence in themselves at this at that age to say right, this is what I'm into. This is what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. and going on putting on their own gigs and stuff. Like you know, there's there's those two buskers we saw, Jake. Chops, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they're just cool as fuck. Like they're just jamming away. Like you know, like they, they look like proper little punks. Like you know what I mean? So. You think um, you think younger people are getting more alt? They're much alter uh, than we were when we were their age. Aesthetic. Well, I don't know. They're, like, I suppose, what age did you get, like, social media smartphones? For me, I suppose it was probably, like, 15 or 16. But like, About that, yeah. Yeah, young people, are. they've seen more, and they've seen more of what's possible. And, they've, you know, like, they've seen more that, more people being original around them and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like even yeah. I know a gym, like I see kids walking around with skateboards and like you know, like and that's that's only five years that you're seeing that kind of there's more of kind of uh I you notice with people slightly younger maybe that there's kind of they just dress better, they're cooler the fuckers, aren't they? Like do you know what I mean? <laughs> I dress <laughs> like at their age, like they, they know how to get they know how to get all the good shit off Depop. <laughs> I was talking to our friend uh, Kieran, who's actually our photographer. Currently, mm-hmm. he does most of our pictures. Um, Kieran Scully, and he he took the stuff that's on the EP. But we were we were talking about that, and like when we were in school, I don't remember like thinking about what I wore ever. I don't like, you know, I don't think I wore owned a pair of jeans till I did my leaving cert. Everyone's got their own, like the skaters, the punks, the goths. Like there seems to be a bit of that coming back now. You think that's the influence of TikTok being felt? Well, like what Killian said, um, you know, not necessarily just TikTok, but everything, you, you're exposed to more stuff, which is great. Like, I don't know, globalization is, is its own, there's a separate discussion to be had on that, but 
it's definitely allowed people who maybe if you grow up in a certain community, especially like maybe rural Ireland, and you wouldn't necessarily be aware of all these different lifestyles and interests. And the internet, one great thing about the internet for all its faults is like you can meet and see like-minded people and, Mm. you know, find a home in different subcultures, even without having to be, you know, in London or New York or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I can very much empathize from that. I grew up on a farm myself and I certainly found that because we didn't have the internet, stuff like The Simpsons was kind of my cultural periscope that allowed me to interact with other things that I wouldn't otherwise be aware of, you know? And I think because... Yeah, you know, and because kids have, have Instagram and TikTok and things now, that whole process, a lot quicker, it's a lot easier. But oh, I get that 100%. Like, even, like, in our house, uh, you know, the Simpsons on at 6 o'clock, it was, like, it was the only decent thing on telly. Like, so it became, like, became, you know, that that's the cultural sphere. Whereas now, like, there's so many things you'd be into that it's mm. really cool. But there's kind of a flip side of it, too, that in terms of, in terms of cultures and originality developing that you kind of, the flip side of that as well is that you kind of feel that it's it's probably easier to kind of gentrify culture now these days because you can see culture from all over the world and you can interact with it all over the world. Mm. Whereas even even just looking at fashion and stuff and like from my understanding anyway, the whole baggy jeans thing in Manchester was like or like even the Adidas thing and do you know why Adidas is popular is because it was cheaper than Nike and it was related to football culture and it was related mm-hmm. to you know, um, everything was more hyper-local in terms of what's in the local record store, what's in the local clothes shop, you know, that kind of way. Yeah, Whereas absolutely. Like, now with online shopping and stuff, it's, 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 yeah, it's interesting to know, but um, I think for younger people, I know I've noticed that they're a lot more kind of just fucking confident to just be like, right, this is, this is cool, like, you know, because, mm. you know. It's an interesting point, though, you made, like, because certainly when we were, around that age and it was the same for me that at that specific time we would go and watch Simpsons and I feel like every kid in the country would do that even though all of the episodes were at that point even 10 or 15 years old but you Mm. had a thing at that point where you had a very homogenous culture and there was one central thing that everyone knew about and now it's so much more fragments you know and you do have all of these separate groups Mm. but um yeah it's like you're saying that there's there's positives and negatives, definitely. Like you have to be careful. You don't want to create a global monoculture, but it definitely on like individual and personal levels, it's definitely people who benefit massively from being able to break out of their their local culture if they don't mm-hmm. feel at home in it. You mm-hmm. know, some it's people nice never find it. Um, it's nice to find a niche. Is what I was going to say. It's mm. nice to find yeah. your own niche. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but. Yeah. Um, are you guys on TikTok? Do you use it? Are you aware of it? Uh, no, I'm not on it as such, but like TikTok videos would filter into like Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, a, bit of, I'm a bit of an old man, a bit of a technophobe when it comes to actually adjusting to the whole thing. Like, um, like even my, my phone screen broke there over the weekend. So like I, I got like one of the little Nokia's like, yeah. and I'm like, I'm even adjusting to that. Like I'm like, it's strange not to have that input all the time you know yeah but, uh, yeah tiktok is interesting though like even even like you look at what happened in america like and the fact that it's it's uh it can be used for activism now and like you know it can, it's very very cool like, you know 
I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm not, I can't dance for shit though. I can't do it any of the TikTok dance. But I think that's the thing is that people think you have to, <laughs> you know, like it's so much, but because I've, I've been on it now for a couple of months and it gets to know you very, very specifically to the point where the videos are about like music composition and stuff. Like there's no, it's dancing for the first week or so. And then it gets to know your preferences, you know, and then it falls into like, what I was talking about, why I brought it up was because we were talking about niches and it very much finds their own niche. So if you're a guy mm-hmm. who's really into fucking train spotting or something, it's just going to be videos of trains. You're like, oh, fucking A2006 Hyundai train. One of the best ones, <laughs> you know, Norfolk's finest. But yeah, like it just finds this stuff for you and gives it to you. It's kind of an interesting depends, thing, you know? Depends how comfortable you are with your phone knowing you that well, I suppose. Some people... You know, well, somebody has to know me that well, Jake. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's been a funny discussion around, like the people who are giving out about, uh, oh, with the with the vaccines, like they're gonna put a microchip in you and they're gonna know everything. Like, they already know everything. Like whoever whoever they are, you know, yeah. not really, not necessarily a real thing, but like we're all giving, we're all making this trade of giving away our information. And in return, then, yeah, we get introduced to things that we like. And, like, I certainly think about, to bring us back around to music, like, there's a romantic side to, uh, you know, buying a record and that being your personal possession and, you know, pre-streaming days that our parents would have experienced. But at the same time, I have discovered so much music that I know I wouldn't have if I wasn't using things like social media and, and YouTube. Discover and Weekly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and why do you think, like what was the motivation for Bill Gates to put the microchip in the vaccine? Like, <laughs> why did he do that? That's, that's what all these conspiracy theories are lacking is what's the aim of them? It's like, yeah. oh, they're, they're, they're trying to, it's all like COVID is fake. It's like, okay, to what end? Like, what is the, you know, <laughs> no one is... I think, I think absolute certainty in any walk of life is kind of a dangerous thing. Be absolutely certain of anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's, like, even the way we're talking about it now, like, there is no right or wrong answer. Like, the, the, like, the idea of, like, oh, in terms of music, oh, if we all go back to vinyl, then artists will be supported. You know, mm-hmm. that's the solution to the, you know, for, for art to be authentic and all that. It's like, no, there's no... There's no there's no right or wrong with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what I find in terms of even, even with, um, that's why it can be cool with streaming services and stuff like that. And the fact that people have access to all music from all genres. Like sometimes I'll just go on, like what's the top 50 in Brazil this week, just to get an understanding of what, what music means in other parts of the world and stuff. Mm. Because, you know, you can get a very kind of, you can get very, um, you can always get a snippet of what a music scene is. Like, obviously, for me and Jake, like, when we think of the music scene in Go, we probably think of, you know, guitar music. Whereas for so many people, that might mean the busker on the street or that might mean going to see blues in a pub or something or yeah. traditional music. Yeah. Like, you know, if, you, if you ask a tradhead, what's the music scene like in Go, they'd say, oh, it's brilliant if there's a session on every Thursday. Like, you know what I mean? mm. Yeah. Well, I suppose um, this is something that came up as well because I, I was talking to some other people in Galway and it's a city that is pretty much synonymous with trad music, you know, and for the majority of the people, not only in Galway, but I would say in the world who've heard of Galway, they'll just say trad, like that's going to be the thing. 
you know, of, of anywhere in Ireland besides like, I don't know, Clare as well, maybe. Um, mm. But is that, do you guys have any involvement with that kind of scene? Did, did you ever come across it? Do you play trads? Um, does it influence your own music in any way? You know, any kind of subtle way, you think? Um, I, I own a mandolin. Nice. You own a mandolin, that's true. Uh, I won't say that I can play a mandolin, but I have one. That's, okay, that's well, it's a start. <laughs> it's a good start, you know? <laughs> no, it's, it's a good, it's, a, it's interesting. In terms of influence and stuff, I get exactly what you mean, but where it comes down for, for me in terms of uh, Shano singing is something that I find incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of musicianship and stuff like that, like I suppose, like like everyone, you start off playing the tin whistle, and that's your introduction into music. Is kind of polkas and traditional Irish music and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I think I, th- I don't think it, I don't think it's a sonic thing. Uh, but I think in terms of taking inspiration, like uh, when you listen to traditional music, it feels very kind of uplifting. Do you know? Like, and there's mm-hmm. it feels very. Um, very, very settling or something, you know what I mean? And like, I suppose it probably doesn't come across in in, in our music as such, but it de- I I definitely find it interesting in trying in terms of trying trying to trying to be aware of of where you are in terms of like what I find really interesting is Rodney. Um, they're they're no longer together, but the, they're lads that we'd gig with and we'd know them and they came from a trad background and they've managed to incorporate it really interestingly. And they're actually not from Galway, but they, they're all uh, living in Galway. But they, they would incorporate the accordion into into their set and they might play, you know, in a, play their own song and then go into Stooges cover and then incorporate a trad, you know. It's, um, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's definitely not in terms of my, in my, it's not a, it's not a cap and my feather as such in terms of having any in terms of the way I play guitar or anything like that. But I think I think the vibe and the fucking the energy of Galway it'll always be tried. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, that kind of vibe, yeah. Do you know that like even the Galway Street Club like you see them there and whatever I don't I don't even watch you classify that music as but like, there's that kind of wild Atlantic kind of ruggedness to it and I mm. like that kind of energy in terms of the trad energy. Like, so mm. you can kind of latch onto that kind of. I don't know what you call it. Anyway, you know the idea of like you're in a pub and someone starts playing trad music and people can't help but go, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just with it, like, <laughs> you know yeah. So, no, I think I do know I, what I you mean. It's that it, you can bring that forward into other genres as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it can be a little bit um, hit or miss sometimes when you when you bring things like accordions into a, a more of a rock context. You know, but I definitely. I definitely get what you mean in terms of the sort of more of the like ambience or the energy or something or like the ethos behind it because I find that trad is always and like lyrically trad music is always very witty and like uh, sharp you know mm-hmm. and there's always like good wordplay and stuff in it you know that's like one one element that I think can have a sort of tangential storytelling too. yeah 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 totally totally mm. yeah it's it's been a while now since I've gone to, well, not only a, a session, but any kind of... Are you, are, you, are you based in Clare at the moment? Is it? I'm in Dublin at the moment for the last oh, two right. years, but I used to That's live in Cork for, for three years. And then the, the, the 20 prior to that were in Clare. 
Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, how, how do they contrast in terms of like uh, obviously your your music head like so in terms well, of you um, found like uh, in terms of Cork and Dublin is there is there a major kind of difference in in yes. approaches or ethos is like there is. I mean, I lived in Paris for a year as well, and that that's a whole other source of approach to it that really sort of it gives you a broader perspective on the on on Cork and Dublin. But I think that the be- out of the three places because there's nothing going on in Clare, but Cork was definitely the nicest. And it's, I think it's kind of like Galway in that there's a very obvious scene there and everyone kind of goes to the same one or two pubs and two venues. And because of that, it's like in the, um, what do you call it? You know that David Byrne book about music? He always talks about how necessary it is to have a, like a venue uh, and a scene. How music works. How music works, yeah. But you kind of had that in, in Cork. You talked about CBGs. Yeah, 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 that's right. And you kind of have that in Cork and you have it in Galway, but in Dublin, it's a bit more fragmented, I think. It's sort of harder to find. There's like, there's more than one scene, I think. But again, I've mostly been here during quarantine, so I don't, I don't really know, you know? I think Dublin is, I guess, I mean, I haven't spent loads of time in Dublin, but I get the sense that Dublin sees itself as like a global city. So when you're playing music there, you're kind of know like potentially you have a global audience in terms of tourists, but also in terms of like record labels and all that, like industry people. Yeah. Whereas in places like Galway and Cork, you know, when you're playing to 20 people in the Roisin Dove, you're playing to 20 people in the Roisin Dove, There's, there isn't going to be, one of them isn't a Sony music executive. Like, that's not... Um, no, and our, and our crew coming to the gig, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, there's, again, positives and negatives, but it's a very personal scene in Galway. Like, you'd see the same, the same yeah. 20 people at every, every gig you go to. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily that bad, though, because, like... Every every scene you go to, they're always looking at somewhere else for their cues. And I think Cork and Cork and Galway kind of look towards Dublin for that. But Dublin looks towards London and London looks towards New York. Like they all have yes. a different thing yeah. where they're like, well, this is kind of small time, you know? Mm. And it doesn't, yeah, that's the, you can get mm. caught up in that. And like these whole A&R people coming to, to gigs, does that really have an impact on 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 the music in terms of, you know, connecting with people and all of that, like it's not going to make a difference to it. I mean, you know, like if, if your whole, if your whole goal is to try to get a major record label, then you are statistically going to have a better chance in Dublin, but mm-hmm. the gig's going to be better in, 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 in Galway. I yeah. Think, I think, you know, but. And again, with the internet, one thing that you hope that this kind of, uh, like global culture can do is stop people having to move to places to you know these meccas of art and culture and so say new dad um who are you know from galway as well and they've done really well over lockdown and they haven't left galway so and maybe in the future to take more steps they might go to london or new york or wherever but in terms of gaining the following they have like they didn't need to be in a city like that and you know we're similar we're on a slightly smaller scale but we we're selling records in 
Germany and London and we sold one in Detroit. And like I said earlier, we've only played Galway, Dublin and Limerick. So I, I, I would hope that in the future bands don't feel the need to leave their local scenes and that way you can create stronger local scenes instead of everything being centered around these, you know, yeah. few different hubs. I see your point, but like, I, again, it's just the fact that if you go to somewhere like London and you just have the, the sheer um, amount of biomass, like the actual population there cannot but produce good bands because you have so many people and you have so many people interacting, like you just meet people that you would not meet because, I mean, there's only a certain amount of bands that can form out of the pool of people in Galway and Cork, you know, and the sounds are going to be somewhat limited to the influences of those people, you know. But I, I, again, I get your point that it's, 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 it is a shame, but I think it's a necessary part of, of the development of, of artists. Or my way Yeah, off. but I think more so... Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. More so than I was saying, in an ideal world, yeah. you would yeah, be yeah, able sure. to have kind of, like, spread out the scenes a bit more globally and not force people to to travel to all these different places in order to like make it, you know, in parentheses. Like, I think it comes from a lot, like as much as we can focus on it from a point of view in terms of obviously we're looking at it from, you know, we're playing gigs and stuff. But yeah, I think also it, it comes to people in terms of um, seeing the value in what's local. And yeah. that's not, as you said, like, you know, you can say, oh, you know, tune looks to go, like, oh, this is Dublin, Dublin looks to New York, New York looks to LA and, it's you know it's kind of boring then if you're if you're always just com- comparing it and you're trying to see one is inherently better than the other like you know but yeah. from an audience point of view like that's what makes it interesting in a place like London is that just by pure pure numbers you you don't know who might walk in off the street and see you and the the crowd the crowd fusion and the audience fusion is a lot more kind of diverse and that's really interesting yeah yeah I agree um, with that I mean there's th- I think it's a case of just the sheer potential of, of from 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 the numbers is what yeah. you, what you don't get somewhere smaller because you can certainly have a band like yourselves or a band like New Dads that are making incredible music in a local place and it's being appreciated by the people in that locality. But um, but I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> no, but like from a practical point of view, like a, 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 a meme page, it's like. A, it's like what happens with local music scenes is like you know, the entire scene could hinge on one person being the drummer for like six bands. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, that kind of way. Like, so, you know, in that kind yeah. of way, like, it is frustrating because, like, you know, you might have to, you can imagine, like, just in my situation, if I, I, like, you might have to ring someone and say, oh, are they, are they knocked around? Do they still play music? Like, would they be willing to learn an instrument or, you know, do they have time or whatever? But, like, you can imagine, like, you could just put up an ad, drummer wanted, these are the influences, and you'd have someone in the morning. So, like, bands and projects can just continue. And, like, yeah, that's that. It's, and I suppose it kind of goes back to what I was talking about, like, the, the kind of trad idea that, like, you just have the session in a pub and that, like, you know, bring your instrument. And if you can play along, play along. Like, that's really cool. Mm. That's kind of the beautiful thing about trad. You can just sort of jump in and, like, you meet people that way and you can go from pub to pub and, and all that, you know. Like, you don't really get that with other kinds of music certainly with with alt rock you can't just rock up somewhere and be like you know sit in on 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 a gig 
Yeah, just bring your guitar and pluck along in the audience. <laughs> Another um, scene that I, I'm really inspired by, I t- think, is the electronic scene in Galway. Mm-hmm. And musically, it's not really my thing, and I wouldn't listen to it. But the, the rest of the lads uh, would really. But um, I think the way they've done things is really organic. And uh, like you said, to an extent, everybody looks abroad. But I think more so than any other scene, well, obviously trad is its own thing, but like the Galway techno scene is just trying to be the Galway techno scene. It's not trying to be Dublin or, you know, yeah. by proxy London. It's it's probably trying to it, be Berlin, but small, I would say. Yeah, but it's it's kind of created its own little thing. And like, it's really popular now here. And it, like that, you know, people come to college in Galway probably as an excuse to just go to these gigs and... Mm. It was kind of when we were thinking of starting the band, it was that scene that we looked to in terms of, yeah. you know, there's potential to get 150 people, 250 people into a room to listen to music in Galway and they're all from Galway. Yeah, I you think know, it's, we, that, that's, it's, it's a cool thing because you get so many people who are just there for an event just so they have an opportunity to meet people and to dance and to do drugs and things. I mean, like... I think for a lot of those people, honest to God, the music is totally inconsequential. They're just going to the, they're just going to a thing, you know? And like, mm-hmm. do they care what's playing? I mean, they only care because everybody else wants to go see, um, listen to, to techno or something, you know? I think, yeah. yeah like, it's like what on, you were saying too. before, Killian, about there, like there is a certain pressure uh, to be into that kind of music when you're younger, for sure. You know, and like, I think that's, that is still there. And like, not that it's bad or anything. Like, I, I think it's, a lot of it's fantastic, but like, there isn't more, more people go to that thing. So more people will go, you know? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, um, it's like anything, like you don't want anything to be gatekeep, gatekeep, tepid or whatever you say, say that, like, but, um, like, yeah, like in terms of what, like, even from the, the, you know, EDM electronic point of view like it's it's a sheer like practical thing that like you know even nightclubs open five days of the week you know there's humans there like and it's 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 where people go like but in fairness to God I like you know the Russian Dove and places like this like they, they've like Gooey has put um, he, he's the owner like and he's put an emphasis on original music and like it's, um, I don't know I, I think I think it's about volume and I think, I think it's about, I think particularly people can, you know, for people from maybe who haven't, like I've, I know music will say education as such. So it can be an intimidating thing to think, oh, being in a band, it's like, oh, you have to have a certain level of musicianship. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. But, you know, in my idea would be like, yeah, like people get up and they play their few tunes and it's just normal and it's like, there's just more of a scale for it. Like, and like, mm. it's just a fixture of, of a night out or an evening out is that there's a band playing. Like, you know mm. what I mean? And it's a, it's a volume thing. Like, you know, there's like, there's no, there's no real barrier to entry anymore. Like, you know, and anyone can learn online, you know, how to you look at a band like Sleaford Mans, like they just create really, really kind of just kind of straightforward with really good um, beats. Like, and there's just spoken words over it. Like, and like that's oh I know those that's, guys, yeah. that's something that's become immensely popular like you know and like Are they they're those like football guys and they'd be like 
they have like Cockney accents, or am I wrong? Um, no, they're from Nottingham, and it's it's uh, it's basically you watch it's it's seen Jason Williamson's he just he, I don't know is it a persona or it's his stage presence, but the way he delivers it is like just the angry forty-five-year-old fella from the north, and like I think the I other man, that. I don't yeah. know his name, but. He just makes the beats and just presses play. Yeah, and no, like, I, I think <laughs> I think my cousin showed him to me before, and it's just this guy and he's holding a pint in the other, and he's just like, yeah, yeah. there's another yeah, guy yeah. doing the decks. Yeah, no, that's it's pretty like good. It's like the streets taken to the nth degree, like it's mm-hmm. it's like open mic night, but they just stay stuck with it, and they weren't like, right, we need to. They never gave up the mic. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, they're like, it wasn't like, oh, we have to, we have to, now we have to get someone to play the drums and now we have to get a bass player and that sort of thing like so they're a band but like being in a band isn't necessarily linked to having the technology anymore like you don't have to have a drum set like so like i think in terms of defining scenes based off if it's guitar music or if it's electronic music that like it's definitely kind of merging the the, the water's getting muddier now like and there's blurred lines between the two like you know mm-hmm. in terms of scenes and stuff like that like you know, Sleeper Mods, they featured on a Prodigy track there not so long ago. Like so, it's, um, that's that's what I find really exciting is that you could have you could have you know we'd say ourselves could play and then you could have a DJ after like and that's you know you could you could you could have everything like you know incorporated into one evening like so, yeah that's and and um, let's just sort of try and. I've get back to home somehow. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try and steer this boat home here now. But um, what's your what's your plans for the future besides the touring? That have you uh, plans for releasing uh, anything in the f- in the near future or distant future? Maybe a single in the summer. We're gonna we're gonna record up in Dublin. Um, we're going we've a, we've a day. I think we've I, I don't know, Jake. Do you remember how we came about it? But it doesn't really matter. But the, the immediate strategy anyway is to release a couple, uh, get a couple of singles recorded um, over the summer, get them out. And then, yeah, then before we know it, it'll be October. And mm. I suppose we'll probably, we'll probably have, once we get back in the swing of things, we'll have a better idea. Like, but we, people could, I'd say it's fair to say people can expect that we'll have a single out maybe July or something like that. Sometime in the summer anyway, at least one single, if not, then A and a B side. So we were talking a bit about how, you know, this is a path that you've gone down and you've sold a few records over yonder in Germany and one went over to Detroit and everything. And you have these connections to these places that you've never toured in through this, you know, physical thing. Um, Was that something you always wanted to do or is that something that just came up from the label and, and, and you guys talked about it and you decided to do it that way? Like, do you think it's an important thing for bands to do? Um, I remember Killian, we were talking about it before one night and kind of like, you know, 
what is success for a band like us and you know it we're not necessarily all set on being the next whoever fontaines or you know massive big industry band but one thing that we always kind of said is like if we can put out some physical music people buy it and we can go on tours and see different places and play in different places like that's the dream and like so many bands like again like we didn't start with grand ambitions you know and we just kind of got together and things started happening pretty quickly and if you take lockdown out of it like it essentially would have taken us a year from meeting each other for the first time to doing a tour of england mm-hmm. uh, in terms of time we've actually spent together and i think that's you know amazing and uh, i'm really proud of the fact that we've been able to do that um not to say that anything is the end goal but like it's success definitely you know for us being able to get in a van and tour around that's fantastic mm-hmm. for me for me from that point of view like i remember um I was, um, what age is it? 2015. Mm, yeah, but yeah. so I was like about 17, myself and uh, four friends, we had a band called The Kegs. And um, one thing I always regret is that we never recorded and had physical music, like even just a CD or a demo, like, you know what I mean? And like, that was a real moment for, for me personally, anyways, when I, like, uh, Richard sent us out a few CDs, I got pressed up on that. Um, in terms of, in terms of like, it is it is crazy to think that people across the world that you've no connection to have actually bought something that you're you've contributed and you put work into like that's that's class like do you know what I mean and like that's something that that gives me joy to think that that someone else has has gotten something out of it to the point where they want to buy the record like and we've had mm-hmm. saying that like oh they bought it for their kids and you know their kids are inspired by it and stuff like that and like it's. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Like, and I feel, I feel like the vinyl thing is like I've I'm looking like I've probably I don't want to go by like but I've got seven or eight and vinyls like and you know a lot of them are giving us gifts and stuff like but for someone to actually fork out for the for the fortunes on the, the EP like it kind of it's a, it's a very uh, it's a very kind of humbling thing to think that people are actually going and buying the physical thing and they're going to look after it and mm-hmm. kind of value it. It's very easy to get lost in Spotify streams and trying to derive a metric from it. It's very easy in just the nature of it to get drawn into comparison and to get drawn into um, you put out a song on Spotify and there's kind of you know there's 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 kind of a subconscious kind of idea that it's it's by being popular it's somehow better. Do you know like you look at a band and you just go to the most popular song and you assume that's the, that's the hit, that's the tune, like you know what I mean. So like yeah. it's really hard to have people buying vinyls and you know you know people and then to go tour in those places like you know there's I'd say there's a good few heads in the north that have you know a few people that have ordered over there like so that'll be really cool hopefully we get to meet them and have a chat with them and you know shoot the shit with them as well like talk about music yeah yeah like I think the the Spotify thing is really it's definitely deceptive in terms of how popular the songs actually are because like and, uh, the algorithm can just pick it up or it gets on one playlist and it goes crazy and like so like, we kind of had that with Wasting Away our first song it did really well and then then we kind of well I, I personally kind of started judging everything against that 
and we'd have other yeah, symbols that, yeah. that wouldn't necessarily get picked up by the algorithm in the same way. Um, so the EP came out and did you know pretty well with streams, but it, it didn't reach that same level. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, so maybe it's not as popular. But then we put out the vinyl and we sold like 100 in the first day and none of us expected that at all. And mm-hmm. it was like, it, we, we've had a lot of discussions about you'd rather like 10 dedicated fans than a thousand half-assed kind of, they just follow you on Instagram or whatever. Mm. And yeah. so our focus then became on how do we connect with people past the surface level? And we've done a few things then, like we made a, a Facebook group where we kind of keep in touch with the people who are actually dedicated to the music. And um, yeah, I, I think you can get lost in like just the numbers game, but really it's about building a connection building like building a connection like that is what allows you to go on tour and to sell records not not, not spotify streams you know mm. yeah i think it's a very um like you said superficial thing when you look at the actual streaming numbers because it gives you no indication as to the quality of those listens you know yeah. um but yeah i i i totally agree with what you said about their killian about it's like when you like when I would have a CD of something when I was a kid and I had a Walkman, I would listen not to the ones that were the most popular because I didn't have any, you know, understanding of which was the most popular because they're just in the track listing. So you'd listen to the sort of deep cuts a lot more and you would get a better sort of, you would get obsessed with those ones, with the, with the sorts of more obscure ones then um, rather than just going to the top ones. So, yeah, I don't know. There's some, I think we're a lot more... Um, you know, primitive as a, as a, as a, as a creature than, than we give ourselves credit for, because there's something about just having a physical thing. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think I, I recall, I know like it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to do for, for yourself to actively kind of, you know, if you had something physical and you, you can also detach it from your phone as well. And that, it's like, it's a kind of like we talk about a lot, like there's a price to pay for convenience, like, you know, we're all aware of it, but like, it's a lovely thing to think that all that you have in the room is the music. You don't also have your WhatsApp messages. You don't also have, you know, like all your work emails and all that stuff. You know what I mean? That like you can actually say, right, this is it. It's just going to run through. And you, you appreciate as well, like, you know, in terms of track listings and track orders and stuff. And it kind of, it's, it's a bit less ADHD of a way to kind of listen to music, like, you know, mm. and, that's what I find anyway. Like you know, if if I actually think that she would take the time to put on put on something on a vinyl record like it, you really appreciate it. Like you know. Yeah. Do you guys listen to, to much uh, vinyl? Do you buy much vinyl? I don't buy much of it, man. To be honest with you, like I I was I was very lucky. A friend of mine gave it to me as a gift. The yeah. Player. And, and since then, it's been a handy one for friends and family. Like I don't know what to get them. So I could get them a vinyl. Happy days, like. So. Um, yeah it's a bit expensive to be honest like I, as a hobby i wouldn't be i wouldn't like i wouldn't be forking out 30 quid in a record man like, you know yeah I mean? yeah yeah and in charity shops all you get is like you just get like daniel o'donnell and like but you say that though know, but i went into the the charity shop in ennis one time before um and i found hunky dory by david bowie and i had like written on the inside a dedication to some woman who's like um, I guess she'd be in her 80s now 
And it was like to Ethel to keep you warm in those long winter nights, 1972. And I thought wow. that was really cool. And I paid two fucking quid for it as well. Like, yeah. It was class, you know? That's but really interesting because... You come uh, across stuff every so often, but mostly it is it is old Daniel, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting enough. I was just in, I was just in the charity shop in Chilton. I got a Richard Pryor's, a book about Richard Pryor's life. Oh, yeah. And someone had kept a photograph as a bookmark. Yeah. So, like, I opened up the book and there's just this photograph of three lads at the bar. And I had the clue where it is, where, you know what I mean? It's just three people. Like, Track them down. I was thinking that, like, do I put it up on the Tube <laughs> Facebook page and be like, I found this in Richard Pryor's book. <laughs> Get a reunion going. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's not, um, it's not beyond the realm of possible. If you were really you dedicated, to, uh, I think. Would you, would you have a collection yourself? Not that much. I mean, the same as yourself. I got a record player when I was like 18 or so, I think for my birthday. So then because of that, I got a few records here and there. And I, I got them a lot when I was in Cork. And then because I was moving a bit, they were just so cumbersome that I left them all in Clare. And I don't have them in Dublin now. And I kind of miss them a bit because they're, it's fun to sort of go and put them on and stuff. But at the same time, I don't, I don't put them on that often because it is so, such a fucking... Or it's such an involved thing to have to go over and, and, and take them out and clean the thing and, and all of that. But I don't know. As well, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, I do like being um, um, inconvenienced by them, though. You know, it is kind of... Yeah. But, but um, I don't know. It's charming in a way of like... I don't know. You go to another country and you're like, this is also quaint, but I wouldn't want to live here. Quite kind of charming, you know? Like, I'm glad we have... <laughs> I'm glad we do have Spotify, but um, the funny know. thing about it is, like the record player I have has a Bluetooth function on it. So I remember I caught myself. I just had a moment mm. of awareness. It's like I'm literally playing the vinyl that I have off the Bluetooth function off my phone. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what's a good kind of middle ground? Is is Bandcamp? I think Bandcamp is a Bandcamp great, great show. That's a great show. Yeah. For finding stuff that's a bit more, you know, niche or I mean, obviously everything is on there, but. And it doesn't do that stream thing of you click on a band and it goes, this is what everyone else likes about this band. So this is what you have to like about this band. It's just their music is there. And it, yeah, it feels like a more personal kind of DIY version. Mm. And yeah, I got into that kind of over lockdown. It's a nice yeah. verse, yeah. I, um, I had a run-in with, well, not a run-in. I, I was putting music out before and I sent it to a particular blogger and they, a blogger of note who I won't be mentioning for the <laughs> sake of the podcast, will remain anonymous but he was like oh why aren't you on Bandcamp?" and i was like because nobody uses Bandcamp except for people in bands you know like yeah. the average person isn't going to and i i have a i have a fucking i'm trying to do college stuff and i have a job on top of it i don't have time to be fucking around with Bandcamp. you know like i'll put my stuff on spotify and that's it you know like if that's where people listen to things but it is i, I will say this though yeah you do get paid <laughs> from Bandcamp. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you, you get paid on Spotify anyway. It's a lot fairer that way, but I don't know. I do. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. I'm not being fair to it. But do you guys use SoundCloud no, I think at it's, all? It's a good point. Um, SoundCloud. I've only kind of recently kind of dipped my toe in it now. Um, there is an artist from Goa, Jossel. He has his stuff up on SoundCloud. I listen to his stuff. It's it's one of those ones like with the kegs. All right, we put out stuff on SoundCloud but 
it was always I never actually exclusively listened to stuff on it. I don't know. Is, do you have to buy a, a subscription on it or something? Or no, it's it's, it's all free pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose I never really kind of explored it. I always kind of maybe it was clouded by the the stereotype that it's all just kind of SoundCloud rappers and stuff. And yeah. Kind of just shit. Um, but yeah, I haven't I haven't uh, looked into it now. But maybe in terms of music, I'm fairly fairly basic like Spotify and YouTube. Like, Mm. YouTube is surprisingly good you know? YouTube I will always vouch for YouTube as a like rabbit hole of music I think yeah. with Spotify you get like the same suggestions again and again and YouTube especially as well because it's not all the official releases like my main way of getting into music as a kid was same as Killian and really into like Oasis and stuff and you just all their demos are up there Mm. and you know or like live sessions and and like it's not just the single version that you're listening to all the time it's like you you can and random stuff gets suggested i think when i was younger youtube is where i found pretty much all of my music yeah is there any i can try to think who was the last band that got like excited about discovering i'm trying to think i think it was i think it was on youtube it was like a version that was actually it was the benny's cover oh band. yeah yeah. But, um, yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know. There's been a lot of cool. I suppose, like that thing was going on for the last year, like a like a ver- version, and some other <laughs> ones like that. But <laughs> did you guys do any of this, like live streaming gigs, or do you just not like think it was worth the effort to the bother? Um, did a couple of them. Yeah. How did that? How worth, did you find them? It was worth the money. Um, <laughs> yeah, the money was nice. Um, money it, I found them bidding, bidding awkward. Um, yeah, bidding awkward. It's kind of like you're you're rehearsing, but there's there's a there's a fly in the wall, and um, yeah, like I suppose I never really actually I never actually engaged with them even from a consumer point of view. Like I never actually sought out live streams that were on, and like sat down and made a gig of it. I kind of regret that. I like in terms of probably just accepting the situation and adjusting what was out there. Um, there probably was heaps of live stream gigs that you could have like, you know, had as best as you could simulate going to a gig. But like, I was never in that frame of mind anyway. So we went to do them. It kind of felt a bit, what's the word, a bit empty or something. But mm. don't yeah. get me wrong, it was great. Like really great for people to get to us. Like I was just, breath is have a chance to meet up with the boys and play music and the people who are tuning in they, they get out of it right but from from a performance point of view it's it's kind of tough when you don't have that energy bouncing off you again and that yeah. bit of tension yeah. kind of push through like you know like we we kind of did them at first we did them at first and for a couple of reasons it was you know we wanted to just be playing together and then it also helped us build relationships with people. So say we did one from Mike DePies um, in the store and like we always wanted to play that venue. So this was kind of, you know, it was it was a live stream from from Mike DePies and that was kind of our, like getting our foot in the door there. Um, so it, there's, there was definitely like a benefit to them for us but in the past few months now, we have turned a few down and we're just kind of, because like, you know, the end is in sight, we're geared more towards that, yeah. I think now. 
it is a very different thing. And people are always trying to make some kind of a comparison between dance and live music. But I think it's like, it's only in the most superficial sense, the same thing in that there's music there. And that's all that they have in common because, you know, like people were trying to, and a lot of people said, I did a podcast before and a guy was like, um, you know, it has been positive with this, with this lockdown that you've been able to go to gigs all over the world because you can attend these live streams. But um, is that not just watching YouTube videos? Exactly. Like, did I, did I go to I mean, Woodstock? <laughs> did, I, did I see Nirvana <laughs> in Reading because I've watched the video? Yeah, That's sure. All the same, yeah. And like, the other thing is... With, Plus you're sober, you know? Which, <laughs> with, yeah. with all that music uh, online... Shocking wet rain. Yeah. With all that stuff that's out there, it's like, are you going to watch the Turnstiles, like, Zoom gig? Or are you going to watch Stop Making Sense in HD on YouTube? You know, or, again, like, yeah, Nirvana or whatever. So you're up against, you're not just competing with local bands in your live stream, you're competing with all of recorded music in history, yeah? Yeah. I think they do have a place though as a kind of a supplement or something to engage with fans, but they're not the meat of the sandwich, you know? They mm. they can't be. Like, no, 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 I think for going to gigs and stuff, like one of the coolest things is like, you know, you look over, you don't know who's playing and you don't know who anyone is. You might just see someone there's chilling at the bar having a pint and then music might cut out and then they just hop up on stage and then they play like a savage gig and like there's there's no kind of there's no separation between audience and crowd as such. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, like that's that's the kind of that's the meat and the sandwich as you said, like so. You guys played um Mike the Pies before. That's a pretty nice little venue, as far as I understand. Is there any other venues Lovely, that you really, man. really want to play? And how was that one as well? Did that live up to expectations? It's it's a really cool pub. It's mm. um there are loads of character like in the stall, like and you know it's really really smug like or snug like and really intimate and the aiden down there sound out like you know all the crew all the sound engineers everyone's working there sound out like and really cool venue and in terms of venues then like i, I wouldn't even know man yeah um, uh, i suppose that, like i haven't been to gigs in cork yet like so just even just to, to gig around cork and we we're supposed to play fred zeppelins and stuff like that and, you know Myself and Jake always j- uh, joked about playing in, uh, in DC Park, like uh, playing a gig there. Like, that'd be a good crack. But, but um, no, I don't know, Jake. Is there anywhere in particular that you think? Do you know? Um, I mean, yeah. There's all the obvious. There's all the obvious places, like you know, the cool venues in London and stuff. But because we've been like deprived of even local gigs at the moment, it's just like. Like we have this venue, Oris Nagel, um, that we play in Galway, and it's just like it's not even really a venue. It actually is usually was used for trad. Mm-hmm. Um and it's, name, it's I just suppose. this like kind of yeah. Um and it's just kind of this little box room. Like a cabin. We, it feels like a cabin, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we started putting on gigs um first. And like the atmosphere is unbelievable. And uh, but like completely amateur setup, you know, we didn't have sound engineers and none of us even knew how to do it. So it was really, you know, as DIY as it gets. But like, I think for me, that's got to be our first gig back. Like that would be just to get back to a kind of 
where we started off. That that's more in my mind now, anyway, than dreaming of like London or yeah, kind of Dublin venue. Vicker Street is a very cool place. I always thought Vicker Street is very just mm. very very. Um, I never been. I don't think I've been to the Olympia. I'm not sure if I've been to the Olympia. But I always thought Vicker Street is a very interesting building, a very interesting setup for a gig. That'd be in an ideal world. Um, I don't know. Fucking Wembley, ninety thousand people wouldn't be too bad. Like <laughs> I wouldn't say no to it. Like. Um. Yeah. It's I don't like. I did gigs before where it was, you know, we'd go somewhere and, and because we hadn't done a proper job of advertising it, there'd be a very weak crowd and it would be in this, this beautiful venue, you know, and it really, it really kind of adds salt to the wounds sometimes if you're in a venue that you particularly wanted to play and the gig doesn't go all that well. Maybe shit, you know? yeah. But, um, Barrowlands in Scotland would be cool. Oh, yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, uh, it's all about the crowd, though. Like we, 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 is, yeah. like we, we played in, we played in our friends' uh, in the sitting room, like you know, and that was mm-hmm. like in terms of venues, like you know, it's oh, sitting rooms pretty shit, but like uh, the crowd was brilliant, like so, you know, yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely no bucket list of we have to step on stage that X Y Z or like that. Mm. Um, what, what's your in terms of? Do you guys listen to a lot of podcasts? Uh, not as much. I'm no, trying to get into more now. But is this your first podcast? Uh, no, we thought we done we done Richard's one on you and Blowtorch. Oh yeah, I think I don't know. We're, we've age, done a few at this one stage. Which one is that? Uh, Maraid. Oh yeah, uh, Maraid Radio Mondays on Mixcloud. Mm. How are you finding uh, the podcasting experience so far? Grand. I'd love to be in studio doing it though. Wouldn't it be great? It would be great. I love the format. I love the format. Um, just having a chat and just like I love listening to them as well. Like you know, um, but definitely like just being able to go into the studio and, and have the chat like that's that's the only downside to it. But um, yeah, I enjoy them definitely. Like I enjoy them. You know. Uh, mm. What kind of things you, would you be listening to? Do you li- ever listen to like the ones on Irish music and and that kind of thing? I've given nine or nines one ago. Um, I didn't get massively into it. Um, in terms of in terms of podcasts, like yeah, not not, not a whole pile related to music or anything like that at the moment. I kind of I, I generally use podcasts to try and learn about things I don't know about. So it's like I was, for example, I was trying to learn about business and stuff, and I was trying to learn one there, but boring shit, guys. Did you did you learn much? No, something or what? The only thing I took away from it is that uh, Patagonia are often, or is it Patagonia? Do they make jackets? Yeah, mm. they're very sound and ethical, and they are. You know, I I, the I heard the opposite. The wasn't. Sorry, I heard the opposite about Patagonia. I thought they were very much greenwashing their whole image, and that they were actually. You're probably real. right, man, because I wasn't really listening. I was in. I was doing like really <laughs> boring work in the bogs. I just threw it on and I was like, I just wasn't able to grasp it. Like, but what were you doing? Footing turf? Uh, just footing turf, man, yeah. And yeah. I was like, listen to this business wars and I'm like, this is a bad show. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you foot a lot of turf? I, I did that a bit myself when I was younger because we used to have a bog, but um, I haven't done it in a while. Oh, it's good. Me, it's, it's very uh, physical work. Like it fucking wears you out. 
you know? Yeah, you don't need to be listening to about the inner workings of fucking, <laughs> the fucking jacket companies while you're doing. Yeah, we, we, I'd be tipping away at it, man, yeah, while at home. I've never earned my keep for the winter. What about yourself, Jake? Do you listen to any, any podcasts? Um, my main, like, it'd be mainly sports stuff that I would use it for. I listen to a bit of the David McWilliams one. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you yeah, think of him? I, he has some interesting... Uh, he's a bit Interesting arrogant. views, isn't he? Yeah, but I like, I like hearing kind of out-of-the-box ideas. You know, I think yeah. it's, there's value in listening to stuff. You know, he'll come up with this ridiculous idea or, you know, seemingly ridiculous idea. And even if you don't agree with it, there's value in hearing what's out there. And I, yeah. I think everybody should get out of their own echo chamber and listen to it. I do love his, his podcast. No, he is good. He's a guy, um, I think, who spends a lot of time thinking about the world in, in sort of interesting ways, you know? like Yeah, I think what's the point? In, you know, maybe the way we fix the world is actually incredibly boring, but it's nice to have to kind of listen to the interesting ideas and, and kind of fantasize yeah. about something new, you know? Mm-hmm. I heard yeah. a good, I don't know, was he, on, was he on telly when he said it, but he drew this comparison between soccer moms in the US and slither mammies in Ireland and stuff. And he was making this, uh, he's making this observation that like, the, that a way to tell the class divide in Ireland is that more Americanized your name is the more working class you are and the more like uh, Celtic middle Irish Celtic name you are the more middle class you are and it, it was interesting and stuff like that but I do get where you're coming from like I I, I don't like I don't fucking next to nothing about economics or like in terms of being well read about politics or anything like that like, but um, yeah he's he's interesting he's, he's a troublemaker like do you know what I mean he's a shit stirrer like do you know mm-hmm I think he's he's aware of that though. Like he is aware of his own failings though. You do get the sense that when he pontificates and he does so almost, um, you know, without stopping, that he thinks he's saying the most important things and people who are involved in policy are listening to these things. You know, I think he is very influential, honestly. Like these ideas are getting into the public uh, consciousness, you know, but- Yeah, um, for sure. Certainly of like Irish, Irish, um, what would you call him? Because he's not just a pundit and he's not just like an economist. I suppose he's mainly an economist, but he goes outside of it so often that, that he's becoming more of a, an all-rounder. Yeah, he's an influencer, I suppose. Well, influencer is a different thing, I'd say. But, but is he essentially just, is he just influencing a different, you know, he's not putting up TikToks, but... Not yet. Boomer influencer, like... <laughs> he's, yeah, he's a boomer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brezzy's one is good, man. I checked out Brezzy's one. Uh, where is my mind? Decent enough. It's kind of mental health focused. Mm. Uh, I find yeah, Brezzy seems. I find him easy enough to listen to. He's kind of. I didn't realize yeah. he had a. I must check that out. I didn't realize he had. Yeah, a, I was drawn to it for the Where is my mind, and I was like, oh, Pixies. Like yeah. Brezzy's a big well, Pixies fan. Decent. Is he? Say again. Is Brezzy a big Pixies fan? But he, he'd want to be anyway if his name is. I think he's. I think the theme tune it kind of has words of mind in it. Maybe um, he's a fan. So who isn't a Pixies fan? Do you like anyway? Yeah. Yeah. No, I must give that a listen. Are you guys big Pixies fans? I. You know what I saw on your 
Spotify was a, a playlist of the songs that influenced your last EP. I thought that was a really yeah. cool idea, you know, because you sort of, I don't know if that's like what you were listening to when you were recording or whatever, but um, you kind of, I certainly got the impression looking through those, those things that if you put them all in a blender, you sort of arrive at, at, at uh, the thing that you guys came up with, you know, but um, yeah, Jake, Jake had that idea. It was really good. And it's a, it's a really interesting thing. As you said, I kind of do something similar in my mind. If you were to throw it all in the blender, and see what distilled on it like. Um, it's funny. Are there any surprises in there from your lookings at it? Um, I mean, most of it, I was like, yeah, this this all kind of makes <laughs> this all makes oh, sense. This is like, what this is. Um, like if I was to do a, a playlist of like deconstructing it, it would have been pretty much that. I'm just looking at it now, but yeah, no, I mean, all of it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. See, like we are definitely all Pixies fans, and mm. that is like where we would take musically a lot of inspiration from um but when when we were writing the ep uh well maybe it was different for you killian because you were no by, by proxy i was also getting in house but so we had a yeah yeah but we had like an hour's drive basically to killian's every day um like to and from and all we listened to was Kanye west like mm-hmm for the whole week. So I don't know if that came through in the music at all, but like, yeah, I mean, that was what was on 24 seven. Yeah. Like that's kind of the only one in there that sort of not like the others in terms of <laughs> genre, you know, but I think it does come true in terms of how blunt maybe the lyrics are, because there's a bluntness with Kanye's lyric writing and, and honesty that is there, I think in your music as well. You know, and maybe an experimentation on that specific album on Life of pa- on La- Paolo, Pablo, Pablo, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Like, I think it was more maybe influential in just getting us like hyped up to go and play. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we'd be in the car up, and it, you just like it's hilarious. I just find his music so funny, and I don't know if he's trying to be or not. But like it's so over the top mm-hmm. that you can't not feel like you're about to write the greatest song in the world after listening to it for an hour. Yeah. Because this whole thing is just like, I'm the best, you know? So there's this this TikTok um account and it's just pictures, it's just videos of Kanye. It's called Table Kanye. And it's just Kanye standing on a table. Like because he stands on tables a lot and he gives these little speeches that make like they're they're almost incoherent and you're like, ah, oh, shit, that does kind of make sense. And <laughs> he stands up on a table and he's like, I don't ever use the words cut anymore because I don't want myself to be cut or, you know, something like that, that you're like, that almost makes sense. And I can see how some would be like, yeah. It's one but, of those things. It's like the great mystery of our time is like, is Kanye too, is he, is he like operating at a level of genius that we can't understand, or is he just a fucking idiot? Like, it's kind of one of the even, other... even alluded to that. He has the name one genius that ain't crazy, like, he's kind of self aware of it, too. Mm. He's um, he, there's a brilliant t shirt that's like, uh, I want you to be, uh, it's like, I want you to believe in yourself the way Kanye believes in Kanye, or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I the hip hop influence is brilliant in terms of uh, like, like, uh, even like an eye in the edge there. Uh, is part of the go. I turned to fancy. There was a live stream, like, and 
expected out and there's PX music like and like what they're doing down in Limerick is really interesting. You know, it's, it's really homegrown. What are they doing down in Limerick? So it's just a collection of rappers, but like it's kind of oh, yeah, it's kind right. of like a loyal loyal Kerner kind of school of hip hop in the sense that like they'd actually yeah. playing with instruments and bass and guitar. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's a group. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Like in in terms of the EP and stuff, like I don't know about you, but I don't know, Jake. Like it's fair to say as a bass player, like you probably get some pretty nice hooks and some pretty nice licks out of listening to some good hip hop, like you know. Yeah, like definitely. That's what like punk rock bass is fairly boring most of the time. So you do have to if you want to do anything interesting, you should look to funk and hip hop, which most of the hip hop stuff is funk originally. But um, I think an important thing when you're writing with the band is like curbing your own influences and finding a middle ground. Mm. And like as as an individual musician. Like, you know, if we write a song, whatever, it would be so arrogant of me to then go, oh, I want to put this really funky bass line over it. When is this not going to work at all? <laughs> like, just you to just serve myself completely, you know? So you have to, everyone has to make compromises with, you know, what Put the what sign to thing over it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was re-watching Seinfeld last night, actually, as it happens. I just forgot how fucking funny it is. I forget which episode it was, but um, yeah, no, this will be the summer of George, this summer coming, the summer of Robert. But yeah, let's 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 once again steer this boat home. Um, any any kind of any things you want to plug in general? No, I can't think about the person in To be honest, yeah, we're we're kind of we made the decision to lay low for a little bit because, because of the lack of stuff. Yeah. We, we just decided. <laughs> <laughs> we just decided like, let's, um, once we're kind of in the home stretch, we're going to start, you know, putting out singles, recording yeah. stuff. All that kind of, but yeah. for now we're taking it easy and yeah, just going to be prepared for when everything comes back already. Yeah. Hopefully tell, we tell can to buy tickets in England. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I suppose there's yeah, there's tickets on sale for the UK tour already. So if anyone in England is listening or anyone wants to fork out a lot of money to go over, yeah, pick them up. I think they're on blowtorchrecords.com. Perfect. Yeah, thanks again for coming on this. I think it was a good long winding conversation we had but I think there's some good bits Rogan in territory. yeah we just keep going for another two hours it will eventually arrive on like evolution you know, yeah so what do you think about colonizing Mars you think that's a good idea <laughs> chemtrails chemtrails <laughs> uh, thanks for having us man fucking yeah fun. cheers Robert absolutely cheers, absolutely let's yeah. with it You've been listening to Making It Make Sense, the podcast from Real Fear Records. See you next time.